The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, he beat me on the golf course, uh, which I didn't like. We played nine holes of golf, and he made a putt at the end to win. So I was a little pissed about that. We've crossed paths, you know, plenty of times over the years. And, um, you know, I always enjoy my time around him. Still trying to get him back on the golf course, though. Hey, Aaron, a little free advice when you play golf against Tom Brady. Don't let him keep score. Um, PFT Live. Peter didn't get that one. Peter didn't get that one. Hey, yo. <laughs> Friday edition of PFT Live on Peacock, on Sirius XM211, on NBCSN, on Sky Sports NFL. And this is amazing to me. Number one, it's amazing to me it's not a bigger deal that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are getting together this weekend. I mean, there's so right. much else going on in the NFL. This doesn't really stand out. And it's weird because it's the Buccaneers. We still can't get used to that. 37 combined years of NFL experience for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and they've only ever played each other twice in their careers. Aaron Rodgers won in 2014. Tom Brady got his revenge in 2018. And now it's not really the rubber match because they may meet again. They could meet in the playoffs. They could meet next year. As long as they're in the same conference, it's a lot easier to cross paths. But amazing, this is only going to be the third time two of the greatest of all time get together, Peter. And, you know, Mike, that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, look, it's impossible to fix the schedule so that things like this, you know, uh, are avoided. But there was a time where Dan Marino and John Elway didn't play each other for like eight or nine years in a row, and they were in the same conference. Um but I think the one thing about this matchup that is so much fun is just the simple prospect that it's two guys playing, even though you might laugh at this saying, I mean, Tom Brady is not necessarily at his peak, but he has shown this year that he could have peak perform a peak performance. Aaron Rodgers is playing at his peak. And what is so impressive about those numbers on the left-hand side, I went back last week. It's going to be in my column on Monday. I went back last week and looked at the starts of seasons, his MVP seasons, you know, for Aaron Rodgers versus his two MVP seasons. And this is this start to the season is better than either one. And wow. so you say to yourself, okay, why did they draft Jordan Love now? I mean, you know, what What was the reason of bypassing one of the richest uh, crops of receivers in NFL draft history? I mean, I'd still, look, what's done is done. But that is still one of the most curious things. I've, not, that you, not that you get your quarterback in the future, truly. I don't think that's outrageous. When a guy's 35 years old and you pick a quarterback, that's not outrageous. What's outrageous, at least to me, and, and it hasn't come home to roost at all, so I'm wrong. 
But what's outrageous to me is that they bypassed a receiver, not just in the first round, in the draft. Yeah, and look, it's not just using the first-round pick on Jordan Love. It's throwing in the fourth-round pick so they could move up higher to get him. That fourth-round pick could have been a receiver in a receiver-rich draft like this was. And I, I still have this theory that Mark Murphy, the CEO of the Packers, who's been more involved in the football operations in recent years, I think that he saw a way to piss Aaron Rodgers off a little bit to make him even better this year, and that was a way to do it. And it's a hedge against the future. You don't know how much longer he's going to be able to play. We like what Jordan Love can do. There's potential there. And if it gets Aaron Rodgers riled up, just like the report from Tyler Dunn last year when he was with Bleacher Report that delved into the Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy dysfunction. I remember Murphy saying in the aftermath, you know what, this could be good. If it makes some people upset, this could be good. So he's got that capacity in his brain. And my guess would be privately, when everything went down in late April, he said to somebody with the Packers, probably GM Brian Gutekunst, you know what, if this gets Aaron upset and focused and motivated, it could be good. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, I talked to Brian Gutekunst on Sunday of that draft weekend, and I wrote this in my post-draft column. He said, if the result of us taking Jordan Love means that we're going to get four great years out of Aaron Rodgers, well, that's great. Then we, the goal here is to make sure that we continue this great quarterback tradition. Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, now Jordan Love. So the goal is to do that. And if we do that, by the veteran playing great for the next four years. And he didn't say this. These are my words. And if they have to Jimmy Garoppolo, Jordan Love, you know, and say trade him either in his last contractual year or prior to that, hey, that's fine. And, I, you know, okay, I get that. And it's logical. And, hey, look, I am not trying to recreate history right now. I'm just simply saying the ultimate head-scratcher of the 2020 NFL draft always will be that the Green Bay Packers did not take a wide receiver. That's, that's you know, all take, there is to it. You mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo, and you take it back to 2014. Think about where the Patriots were entering the 2014 season, the year they used a second-round pick on Garoppolo. They hadn't won a Super Bowl in 10 years. And that Garoppolo knife in the back of Tom Brady and I think he reacted to it in a negative way and it made him very determined and focused and what happened they won three more Super Bowls before Tom Brady left so to the extent that that quarterback draft pick in round one or two is part insurance policy but also part let's motivate the guy that we have to get the best out of him before he's done for good the results are there from the New England Patriots, and they may be there from the Green Bay Packers. And look, you know, th this game is fascinating because of the fact that the Buccaneers lost last Thursday night. They go into this game four and one. Okay, they can get away with this one. All right, you know, the Packers, yeah, you, okay. They lose this one, they fall to three and three. It, it, desperation time begins kind of sort of for the Buccaneers. No one expected them to be three and three. Tom Brady doesn't go three and three. Uh, and I think they're going to have their hands full with Green Bay, especially since Green Bay had two full weeks to get ready for this one, Peter. No question about it. I'm going to say one more quick thing about, about Garoppolo because, and how it relates to Jordan Love. The New England Patriots played that absolutely perfectly, other than the fact they probably could have gotten more for Garoppolo if they put him on the open market than they got from San Francisco. But good for Bill Belichick. He traded him somewhere where he knew he'd be coached well and he'd have a really good chance to win. And so they didn't get a one for him. But how great did the Patriots do in playing up the value of Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, started two games for him, was really good in both. Won both starts, never threw an interception as a Patriot. Accurate quarterback. And so, again, they could do the same thing with Jordan Love. About this weekend's game, the thing that interests me the most about this game is how Tom Brady comes back from an ignominious game, okay? You know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be Joe Cool. He's going to play great. He's not going to beat himself, okay? Tom Brady has to come out. He knows this. 
He has to come out. He's had a little extra time to think about it. And his receivers know that, and whoever they are, because they've been playing basically the practice squad, you know, they had to play some of those guys, uh, you know, against Chicago. He knows coming into this game that there's this narrative about him, hey, maybe Brady's slipping a little bit. So it's just another bit of motivation for Brady to, quote, stick it to the man, you know, stick it to the fan. And and I think that's going to work well in Brady's favor at 4.30 Sunday afternoon. But the one thing we need to keep in mind, despite everything that we said about Brady losing track of the downs and what anyone else would say, how fans react, everybody knew he lost track of the downs. The fact that they were so stubborn and they refused to admit it, I just wonder how the locker room reacts. What kind of what kind of side eye looks he's gotten from folks this week as it comes off as his ego being too big to even admit that he made a mistake. And and does it cause anyone in that locker room to view him just a little bit differently? Even if they won't say it, do they view him just a little bit differently? And and do they view their head coach a little bit differently who cusses out everyone? For multiple times taking up for Tom Brady and saying that, he, yes, he knew it was fourth down, even though anyone with eyes who was watching that game. You know, the one thing, Mike, that when I look at this game, other than just the quarterbacks, okay, this is the game that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to have their weaponry. Peter. Okay. And this is the game they really need to have a guy like, they need to have their receivers back. And Mike, you're back. But one of the points I was just making is that if, if Tom Brady doesn't have full health in his receiving core, you know, against a team like Green Bay, and Green Bay, you know, is going to put up 30, that, that, that this is the kind of game that you need to have depth and depth of targets for Tom Brady to be able to win this game. I had a quick power outage. I knew it when it happened, and I just I kept saw talking. In the unlikely event that anyone could hear me, and I tried not to say any curse words as I realized that I had a quick power outage, but I am back, and thank you, Peter, for picking up the baton and running with it. I, I, I have yet to mention that this is the game that Chris Berman used to call the Bay of Pigs. And I guess we call it the Bay of Goats this weekend. I don't know. But, you know, and it was a it was a well-earned nickname for this game because back in the 80s, yeah. both of these teams were horrendous. And they were both in the NFC Central. And there were years where they were like one would be 3-13 and 13 and the other would be 2-14, and 14, even though they got to play each other twice. That's basically where they got their wins and everybody else pummeled them back in those days. All right. Uh, the Browns are a team that everyone has pummeled in recent years. From 2015 to 2017, they were 4 and 44. This year, they're 4 and 1, and they're bringing a different vibe than they've had in years into Heinz Field to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Peter. This game is fascinating to me in so many ways. Pittsburgh is undefeated for the first time since 1979 at 4 and 0. But you look at their games. Look at who they've played. Look at how they've won. It has not been impressive. They have dilly-dallied with some bad teams. The Giants pushed them until late in the third quarter. Even though the Steelers ultimately won by 10, it was not a 10-point game until the, the hit on Daniel Jones by Bud Dupree pops the ball into the air and ends a drive that could have put the Giants ahead going into the fourth quarter. The game against the Broncos, Denver was in position to try to win it late. The game against the Texans, the, the Texans were up 14-3, to and they had a lead later in the game as well. The, the Eagles gave the Steelers everything they could handle, and none of these teams are playoff contenders. So I just I, now that the Steelers in Week 5 are finally facing a contender this year, and it's the Browns, a team that they've been able to take for granted for 20 years, I, I, just, I, I can't wait to see how this Steelers team matches up with a team that they've been able to look down their noses at that all of a sudden is the best team they've seen so far this year. You know, I was talking to Bill Cowher yesterday, Mike, um, about sort of this rivalry. And, and you, you may recall, I mean, Bill Cowher from Pittsburgh, he grew up four miles from Three Rivers Stadium slash Heinz Field, uh, grew up a gigantic Steeler fan. He goes away to college at North Carolina State then he ends up sticking with the Browns as a free undrafted 
free agent linebacker, special teamer. And he goes and he, and he comes home to play the Pittsburgh Steelers as a member of the Browns, and he's just so emotional. He can't believe he's standing on the field. And look, over there, there's Mike Webster. Oh, my God. But, but anyway, one of the points that Cower made to me was at that time, the rivalry was so intense and was so passionate because of things like the Turkey Jones throwdown of Terry Bradshaw. And the, both teams were good. And, and, the, and the Browns, even though the Steelers were winning Super Bowls, the Browns could knock them off, you know, because they had a good team too. But, and, and, and I agree with Cower. I said to him, this is really about the first time in 25 years, maybe longer than that, that both of these teams this far into the season, you could say, hey, they really might be good. And he said, it's so good for football to have the Browns and the Steelers and that sort of Rust Belt rivalry, you know, the, uh, the, the turnpike rivalry between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And, Mike, I just think this is one of those things in a very weird year. This game kind of sneaks up on us. But Ravens-Steelers has taken over as the big rivalry, you know, in that area of the country and in that part of the league. But it would be so good for football if the Browns were good for a while and the Browns-Steelers became a national TV game again. Well, at a time when Raiders-Chiefs may be rediscovering what once was a great rivalry yeah. and hasn't been in recent years because the Raiders have been so bad since their Super Bowl appearance. And, you know, the, the, the Browns did beat the Steelers last year on that Thursday night. We forget the outcome of the game because the headline was what Miles Garrett did to Mason Rudolph, but but the Steelers didn't have Ben Roethlisberger. That wasn't the real Steelers. I mean, the Steelers have owned this this rivalry in recent years in large part because the Browns have been so bad. And, uh, you know, I, I think the key for both teams is going to be how much time will the offensive line buy the quarterback because the defensive front seven for both teams is so good. And, you know, we saw last week, and I thought the Colts were going to beat the Browns. Joel Petonio held DeForest Buckner in check all day long. So that Cleveland Browns offensive line is going to be able to protect whoever ends up playing quarterback, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Case Keenum. Can the Steelers offensive line keep the Browns defensive front seven at bay and buy time for Ben Roethlisberger? That's really going to be one of the keys, Peter. You know, and look, I know everybody says that, boy, Miles Garrett, what a black eye that was for the NFL. And it was. And what a black eye it was for Miles Garrett. And it was. But, and I'm not looking at it affectionately at all. But I am saying, you know, there's a little juice to this game other than 4-0 and against 4-1. and And that is the subplot of Miles Garrett trying to keep him away from Ben Roethlisberger, and trying to keep him from wrecking the game. All of a sudden, the Browns are not just, hey, let's watch the Browns because they got Odell Beckham Jr. You know, it, let's watch the Browns on defense because Miles Garrett has a strip sack in three straight games, you know, and, 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 he's, and he's really wrecked some games kind of like Aaron Donald does. So that subplot really interests me in this game. I... You know, hey, look, I'm looking forward to uh, Bucks and, uh, you know, Brady and Rodgers, too. Don't, don't get me wrong, but there's something about this game. I will watch every snap of this game. The uh, Browns have allowed six sacks this year, the Steelers seven, and Garrett has six for second in the league. T.J. Watt of the Steelers is four and a half sacks. He's fifth in the league. The Browns' last one in Pittsburgh way back in 2003, that was the year after – these two teams met in the playoffs. Now, these are the reconstituted Browns. When you mentioned the Ravens rivalry with the Steelers, that's really the Browns. I mean, the lineage is the Browns. And I know Ravens fans get upset when you say that. And Browns fans get upset when you say it. But it's the truth. The Browns became the Ravens in 1996. And that rivalry has flourished. These these Browns were an expansion team in 1999. They did get to the playoffs fairly quickly. They did give the Steelers everything they could handle in a shootout game with, I think, Kelly Holcomb at quarterback, for crying out loud, and yes. Tommy Maddox for the Steelers. Yeah. But that's how long it's been since the Browns have been to the playoffs. This Browns team, since it returned to the NFL in 1999, one playoff berth, 
that game in Pittsburgh in the wild card round. And, you know, Peter, when you look at the Browns' schedule, we may be able to put it up here. There, there are five or six more wins, clearly, on the surface of the schedule. The question is, how many more than that can they get? But this team is destined right. to be in the mix for a wild card berth. And look, they, they may not win the division title. I mean, they got blown off the field by the Ravens, but they get another shot at them coming up later in the year, week 14. But there are plenty of games you can look at and say, there's a win, there's a win, there's a win, there's a win, all the way to 10 wins for the first time in a very long time. You know, it isn't only that, Mike. It's it's the way they're playing. There's an explosiveness to this offense that simply hasn't been there. And one of the things I really like, too, about Kevin Stefanski is, you know, he's he's one of these guys. Kevin Stefanski and Matt Rule are incredibly alike in this one regard. And that is that they both basically, uh, they... They basically are from the Chuck Knoll school of the only thing in your life that matters. The only thing is what happens this Sunday. That's it. Nothing else. We don't care about the schedule down the road. We don't care about this. We don't care. We care about what's the best team and what's the best game plan we can use this week. In, in, within three or four days of each other, I talked to both guys, both Rule and Stefanski. Stefanski must have said that to me in some form five times in 20 minutes. It was, and, you know, and at the end I said, okay, I get it. I get it. But it's just the way he feels. And so I think that's why they look at this game as exactly as they're going to look at when they play the Bengals, which is this is the championship game of this week. And I think they're going to figure out a way to be explosive, Good on the Browns for not allowing the Nick Chubb injury to really derail them. Because, Mike, what they have done with Dearness Johnson, you know, the undrafted guy from South Florida who nobody ever heard of, and he comes in the game two weeks ago in Dallas, and he's, he's awesome. And, you know, you basically, you look at this team right now, and you basically say, they are a real threat. This is not, this is something that is built to last. So that's the first time you've been able to say that about the Browns in a while. Yeah. And you know, for as dysfunctional as it all was in the aftermath of week one, when it felt like it was going to be just like last year with all the talk about how often is Odell Beckham Jr. Getting the ball. Does he really need to be there? I was a firm believer. They should trade him. They've found a way to make it work. And now when you're winning, it works, but Kevin Stefanski right. has gotten him to buy in. His role is going to change week in and week out. It's going to be driven, like you said, by the matchup against the Cowboys. It was OBJ all day against the Colts who were expecting that and who game plan to take him away. They took him away and it opened up everything else. And, you know, he didn't have the kind of impact that he had against the Cowboys. And, and that's part of the, the chess match that goes on week in and week out. And that's what the great coaches do. It's not just my system, my system, my system, and I'm going to use my system no matter what. It's what can I do to ultimately prevail in this game against this offense, against this defense, whatever it takes. And that's one of the reasons why the Browns are on the right track. The Chiefs and the Bills clearly on the right track, although not recently. I'll tell you what, this early Monday night game got a lot more interesting when the Bills got blown out by the Titans and when the Chiefs lost to the Raiders because now there's urgency that wouldn't have been there. If both of these teams are 5-0, and oh, oh, hey, this is a yeah, battle of unbeatens. But whoever loses is still feeling pretty good. Whoever loses this one may be feeling not so good because they go from 4-0 and oh to 4-2. and two, It may make you a little bit concerned about where you really are, Peter. For some reason, Mike, I view this game as being a little bit more important for Buffalo. Um, and, and I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, they, they were riding such a high going into Tennessee. And then basically a team that hadn't had a real practice uh, for 17 days, uh, you know, since two and a half weeks ago Friday, um, you know, the, the Titans just manhandled the Buffalo Bills. And so you're Buffalo, and all of a sudden you say, man, you know, that really was a punch in the jaw. But it isn't just for the team. To me, it was for the quarterback. Uh, because Josh Allen basically looked like Josh Allen of 2018. 
Um, he, it looked like he got shook up a little bit. And, and look, his first interception that went right through Andre Roberts' hands, I'll blame Josh Allen mostly for that because it was so far behind Andre Roberts. But the fact is, that was a poor throw. Roberts probably should have had it, but it was a poor throw, and it was intercepted. That's the time when you need to sort of settle, and you need to say, okay, we're going to be all right. It's fluky play. It's one play. And it just never really got consistently better. And so Josh Allen now has his second huge game in a row. Second huge national TV game in a row. And all of a sudden now, there's going to be a little bit more focus on him. He's gone from being one of the MVP frontrunners to is what we saw in the first month a mirage? And I don't think it was. But he's got to play better in this game, I think, to, to sort of assuage all doubts uh, about his performance in Tennessee. Yeah, I think what you're saying is this, Peter. The Chiefs know who they are. Patrick Mahomes knows who he is. The Bills are in the process of finding out who they are, what they are, what Josh Allen is. And based on the first four weeks of the season, they thought, we thought, everyone thought that this was one of those dramatic jumps, that this is a team that could potentially have a special season, a team of destiny. All the cliches you hear when there's a team that just shows up and starts pummeling everyone and they can handle all comers and they just win and win and win and win. You lay an egg or something else like they laid on Tuesday night against the Titans, and it makes everyone wonder, is this team really that good? You know, I, I'll say from time to time that, especially in prime time, for playoff contenders, if you lose in really convincing fashion, it almost kind of disqualifies you from the conversation for truly elite teams. Now, the Bills lost to the Titans. It's not like they lost to the Jets that way or like the 49ers getting blown out at home by the Dolphins. That's disqualifying for the 49ers. It's not really disqualifying for the Bills, but it does create a lot of a lot of questions and just a sense of wobbliness as to where this team is. And they got the Chiefs coming right. to town who are going to be fully focused. That's the thing about the Chiefs. You never know what they're going to do when you don't have their full attention. But when you do have their full attention – it's what happened to the Ravens a couple of weeks ago on Monday night, and I feel like that's what's going to happen to the Bills this Monday night. You know, I don't get a great feel for this game because, you know, one of the things you saw with the Raiders is that, I'll tell you what, speed can really, hey, speed can kill anybody. The, the Chiefs have been showing that for the last couple of years. But I'll tell you, speed really hurt uh, the Kansas City defense uh, against the Raiders. And when I look at that game, I watched a lot of that game. I really now see exactly why John Gruden was fixated on Henry Ruggs. Because he, he really confounds a defense. Uh, because he makes you, I don't want to even say nervous about it, but you know that if you make one mistake, it's, it's not fixable. Because if he catches a ball and he's got two steps on you, it's impossible to catch him. So that's why, to me, this game, I'm not positive. Because, look, Stephon Diggs has been a big impact player. And he doesn't have the speed necessarily, obviously, of Henry Ruggs. But he's been a huge impact player. And Stephon Diggs downfield. And, Mike, what about, uh, what about John Brown in this game? Do we know about John Brown? I haven't the, seen uh, where he – yeah, they didn't have John Brown or yeah. Tredavious White on Tuesday night. And, look, they got the extra day to turn it around. Thursday would have been their first injury report. Yeah. I'll pull it up and take a look at it. But um, you're, you're, you're right. They need that. They need to have everyone healthy to have a chance. They need Tredavious yeah. White to help out with Tyreek Hill and company. And they need John Brown. And, you know, the, the Chiefs aren't going to have uh, Sammy Watkins. But this is where that, that genius that is Andy <coughs> Reid kicks in where, hey, I got Cole Hardman. And he'll step in and he'll get it done. And uh, and they won't miss Sammy Watkins the way they would have. So uh, th there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot of quality there. And they have Patrick Mahomes. Here's Mahomes talking about the need to bounce back after what happened to them on Sunday at home against the Raiders. We just didn't execute and play to the level and the efficiency that we're used to playing at. Um, and when you play against another team that, that's a great opponent and you're not executing at a high level and putting your defense in, in bad situations, uh, usually you usually don't win the football game. And so 
uh, we understand that and know that we can't just rely on the big play. We got to make sure that we execute at a high level. And uh, when the big play comes, we, we have to find a way to hit it and, and win the football game. John Brown fully participated in practice on Thursday with a knee injury. One thing that stands out to me, Josh Allen has a left shoulder injury that I think it dates back to a couple of weeks ago. It was against the Raiders, I think, that scared us. He fully participated in practice. Anytime there's a quarterback injury, though, I lock in on that. So it looks good for him. Uh, Tredavious White, limited in practice with a back injury. So the Bills may be getting those two guys back, Brown and White, and they need both of them if they want to have a chance against the Chiefs. All right, let's take a break. When we return, fill in the blank, week six style. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan getting together again. A lot of similarities between the two coaches in many different ways. The one big difference, though, this year, four and one are the Rams and two and three are the 49ers. And uh, Peter, you know, I've been talking about this the past couple of weeks. The 49ers embarking on this seven game death march and it begins on Sunday night against the Rams. I can't recall a team facing that many contenders, that many great teams in a row without a break. They have a bye, but they don't get a, a cupcake along the way. It is great team after great team, starting with the Rams. We'll do fill in the blank now from the Rams 49ers game Sunday night on NBC. Blank is currently the most concerning issue for the 49ers. What do you say? Uh, defensive health. It's tempting to say Jimmy Garoppolo, and I almost would say Jimmy Garoppolo. But to me, the pass rush isn't the same, obviously, without Bosa. Coverage isn't the same, obviously, without Richard Sherman. And when I look at what's coming down the road, Mike, and I don't see Richard Sherman in great health, and I see even bit players or lesser players, I should say, like Solomon Thomas gone, you know, role players. You know, we're in week five of the season, and it almost feels like injury-wise on defense for the 49ers, it feels like it's week 15 and you're limping toward the finish. I agree with you that the health is a major issue. Although, let me add this. There was an item on the NBC Sports Bay Area website. I wrote something about it before the show today. Jennifer Lee Chan uh, is the author on it. Uh, George Kittle pointing out yesterday that he actually called Joe Staley, who's now retired, for advice on what the hell to do. Because the leadership isn't there like it was. Staley's not there. Right. Sherman's not there. And 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 I think Kittle is embracing the fact that he's got to kind of be a jerk and he's got to get in people's faces and tell them that better performance is demanded of them, even if they are replacing someone who's injured. You know, early on, I thought this was going to be like the Patriots, where it's next man up, there's no excuses, and they demand and get the same level of performance from the replacement that they had from the injured starter. That's not happening. And I feel like Kittle, and I credit him for talking about it and doing it. Kittle looks like he's inching toward being the guy who's going to be the one who demands that these replacements play better than they have because that's one of the big reasons they're two and three. And that two and three is going to get out of control quickly, Peter, as these next seven games unfold if they don't start winning some uh, games soon. Arizona and Dallas get together Monday night. Under Andy Dalton, the Cowboys' offense will what, Peter? continue to be good enough to win, but it may not matter. I mean, you know, look, Jerry Jones spent this money in the offseason on Andy Dalton. And when he did, I remember saying, look, Dak Prescott's been an Iron Man mostly, but, but you know, getting a good backup quarterback is great because you just never know. And so to me, I look at Andy Dalton right now. And I say, Andy Dalton's going to continue to put up 28, 33 points a game. He's got a great supporting cast. He doesn't have a great offensive line, but he's got a great supporting cast otherwise. So I look at this and I say, it is all dependent on a defense that is playing at a historically bad level, averaging 36 points a game given up. The two games that they've won, as Ed Werder said uh, earlier in our bumper, Mike, uh, they've won on field goals at the buzzer, basically, uh, and, and had to score 40 and 37 points to do it. So to me, I kind of look at the Dallas Cowboys and say, I mean, obviously, 
you're glad that, that Andy Dalton is there. He's going to be good enough. It may not matter, though, in saving the Cowboys' season if they keep giving up 36 points a game. I agree with everything that you said. Let me reiterate a point that I made earlier this week, though. Having Dak out for the year reduces the expectations, maybe enough that the Cowboys can breathe a little bit. And I don't think they're going to be dramatically worse without Dak because, again, the offense isn't the major problem. It's the defense. But but maybe that that just overwhelming urgency that ramps up every year. We all know Jerry Jones wants to be able to say – we won a Super Bowl with the team that I built, not not a team someone else built. It's my team. And every year there's a greater sense of urgency because he knows there's only so many years left that he can try. And and I just feel like they, they load the cannon. They create the expectation. He's so available to the media, not as much this year as in past years, but he still does that twice a week on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Stephen Jones is on there multiple times a week, and it's just always there. And I think now that some of the air has been taken out of the balloon, maybe some of these guys can just play football and just and not, and not have yeah. that overwhelming sense of we must win and we must win right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to look at it, Mike. And you would hope that that is going to be something that helps them. But I'll tell you this. You know, you've got a really explosive offense coming to Dallas for this game. you got Kyler Murray, who for some reason this week, Mike, seems to be a little bit motivated, like Baker Mayfield was, about coming home to Texas. And Kyler Murray now could be the first guy, could be the first guy to win as a high school player in Jerry World, as a college player in Jerry World, and then as a pro player in Jerry World. I realize that everybody around the country and, and in Great Britain or, or whoever is watching us is saying, who really cares? Well, people Tyler. play high school football in Texas. <laughs> they care. They care a lot. And so I, I, think, I think it motivates Kyler Murray. It motivates Cliff Kingsbury to go into Dallas and to try to win a game. So they are going to get an explosive offense. And look, it, you know, the, the accomplishment of this week, in my opinion, will be if the Cowboys can hold Arizona under 30 points. And I know that sounds absurd, but to me, that would be a tremendous accomplishment. To hold DeAndre Hopkins... Uh, Kenyon Drake, who's been hasn't had a great year so far, and uh, Kyler Murray under 30 would be a great accomplishment. And in my opinion, that would be a winning formula for Dallas. My biggest regret in picking games this year was not accounting for that Texas angle when the Browns, who will only play there once every eight years, bring Miles Garrett yeah. back to where he grew up. Baker Mayfield's back. Odo Beckham Jr. back against the Cowboys again after those battles when he was with the Giants. And I wish I would have put more stock in that because that clearly, and Stefanski told me after the game, that it clearly means something. was a factor. They stepped up in that yeah. moment. And, and I think the Cardinals are going to do the same because Kyler Murray is going to tell them we're all going to go out there and show what we can do on this stage in Texas. All right, the Bears and the Panthers. The Bears, 4-1, and one, Road underdogs against the Panthers, who are supposed to be bad this year, but they're three and two. The Panthers' offense is clicking without Christian McCaffrey. That can be attributed to what, Peter? Uh, the the ability of Matt Rule to convince players who are not great players that we have a standard here, and if you play in this game. It's up to you to meet that standard. Classic case. You know, they have lost so many top players, basically. And I'm not just talking about Christian McCaffrey in week two. I'm talking about, you know, Teddy Bridgewater has to play to the kind of classic standard of Cam Newton. Shaq Thompson has to take that mantle, you know, from even though he's a different player and a different style of player from Luke Keekley, he's got to become the leader, uh, you know, on that, on that defense. And so I kind of look at what has been inculcated in the players on this team in the first training camp and in the first month of this season and say that Matt Rule 
is working the same, and I don't want to call it magic, the same ethos on the Carolina Panthers early on as he worked at Baylor when they were coming back from an impossible situation at Temple when Temple never won games. And he accomplished it in both places, and he's accomplishing it right now in Charlotte, North Carolina. Sooner than anyone ever would have expected, and I think Teddy Bridgewater is one of the big reasons why they are they are uh, getting it done without McCaffrey. All right, real quickly, Bengals, Colts, if it happens, Phillip Rivers' job security is what? One week away from being tenuous. One of the reasons is that Frank Reich really, really likes uh, Jacoby Brissett and would not have a fear of making this move. But he also brought Phillip Rivers in and they paid him 25 million bucks. I, I think they're going to be a little bit slow with the hook, Mike. Hard to admit the mistake when you've made that investment. The Jets and the Dolphins getting together. The Dolphins are favored to win for the first time in the Brian Flores tenure at nine and a half points. Assuming that they win, a three and three Dolphins team is what? A threat to win the division. I picked them to win the division before the season, and I didn't know exactly why because I couldn't point to any single thing other than I saw a vastly undermanned Miami Dolphins team at the end of the season have a winning record after Halloween, and I don't know how they did it. And I look at the Miami Dolphins, and they're going to beat the Jets, and they're going to be 3-3, three and three, and they could be within one game of first place on Monday night. They are a legitimate threat to win the division. I'll say that a 3-3 do three three Dolphins team is squandering the opportunity to get Tua Tonga-Vailoa ready for 2021. They're going to regret him not playing this year when they get to next year and he's thrown into the fray, although the Chiefs didn't when they put Patrick Mahomes on the field in 2018 after sitting out most of 2017. All right, quick break. Week 6, show me something draft when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner... Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Were you paying attention last year when, so Washington and the Giants played a game late last yeah, that, that, year? Yeah, that, yeah. Say yeah. Say that again? That's that's the stuff I try not to listen to. I, did you hear it? In. Did you hear it? Oh, no, I heard about it for sure. They said it on the TV. You know, everybody sent me videos talking about you know what I'm saying Chase Youngbow, man. I you know, I'm not listening to that. Man. You think you think the Giants should have been tanking at that point instead of trying to win in the game? That's the coaching, right? I can't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is a play. Chase Young, you know the reality last year, week 16, Giants were up 28-14. They blow the lead. It goes to overtime. Giants win. Washington wins Chase Young by losing that game. Otherwise, it would be Chase Young as a member of the Giants this weekend as those two teams get together. Week 6, show me something draft. Peter, I'm going to give you the first pick. Who do you have? Uh, show me something, Daniel Jones. Um so, Mike, uh, in preparing my diligent preparation, you know, I spent hours and hours uh, working in preparing for this show. So I That's wanted to tell you one thing I about did. Daniel. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to tell you one thing about Daniel Jones. 
His touchdown to interception differential is minus three, all right? Two touchdowns, five interceptions, all right? Mitchell Trubisky is plus three. And, you know, at some point, at some point, all the other things about, well, I got a lousy offensive line. Well, I only got Darius Slayton and Golden Tate. I don't have a lot of weapons. Evan Ingram is never healthy. I, you know, at some point, the quarterback has to lift his team. That point is Sunday against Washington. If the New York Giants fall to 0-6 and there's another clunker by Daniel Jones, there will be legitimate questions about whether Dave Gettleman picked the right quarterback, period. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And, and look, if they are in position to get Trevor Lawrence, uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to do it. You have to do it, no matter where Daniel Jones is, because he hasn't been the guy that I think they thought he was going to be. And at some point, he's got to step up and show that he can do it, regardless of any excuses that can be put out there to explain why he's not getting it done. I'm going with Josh Allen for the reason we discussed earlier in the hour. Because right now, after what happened to the Bills on Tuesday night, we don't know who they are. We don't know where Josh Allen currently is. And he needs to prove that Tuesday night was an aberration. And he needs to prove he can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. They talk all the time in jest, partially, about who's got the stronger arm. And let's have a competition. And who knows? Maybe they'll hang around after the game and do it. But this is his chance. Primetime, sort of. Uh, It was going to be a Thursday night game. Now it's a Monday night early game. And this is Josh Allen's chance to prove that whatever it was that happened in Nashville is a fluke and not where he is and not where his team is, Peter. No question about it. And look, as we said earlier, one of the things about Josh Allen is, you know, his first four games of this season, he was a different player. There was a regression in week five. And if that regression continues, then there's going to be a lot of questions about Josh Allen. I don't think we should look at this game as anything other than one game for right now. Uh, Weird that it seemed like an emotional game uh, without any fans in the stands. But this this was a game where it looked like Josh Allen got away from what he had been doing. And he wasn't as accurate as he was. He made some bad decisions, which he hadn't been making. So you've got to basically just give him a mulligan for this game. I agree with you, but we'll see what happens in the next game because the narrative may emerge if he lays another egg against the Chiefs. All right, Peter, round two, who you got? All right, show me something, Nick Saban. Stay home and let your team play without you if indeed your team is going to play. And I realize this is a professional football show. But Nick Saban is a professional football coach. And if you get COVID-19, you can't just say, well, I'm asymptomatic, I feel fine, and try to figure out a way to go and coach your team. And again, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not following the story closely. I just know that Nick Saban's place on Saturday night, if this game is played, number two, Georgia, number three, Alabama, that he should be in his living room watching on TV with, uh, I guess, a decreasing number of fans watching sports on TV these days. But he should be watching on TV and getting better and planning to come back to his team. And I respect how driven he is, and I respect how motivated he is, and I respect the fact that he's still working deep into his 60s, and he probably won't stop anytime soon, and he shows up every day and punches the clock and does what needs to be done. But there's a point where what needs to be done is set an example for the other people out there who are still very confused because of all the mixed signals they're getting about the proper behavior in situations like this. So I agree with you, Peter. Next one for me, hashtag Tommy. Show me something. Show me you can count to four. Show me that you can go toe-to-toe with a guy who may be more physically gifted than you. This is a huge game for the Buccaneers. They're in a three-way tie with the Panthers and the Saints atop the division. None of those three teams has looked great. They need to show, and Brady needs to show, that he's exactly the guy the Buccaneers thought they were getting, Peter. And, you know, he will take all of that to heart, what he's heard and read and, and, and everything, because even though Tom Brady's got six Super Bowl wins... He's motivated by everything. 
He is a normal human being who plays in the NFL, other than the fact he's got six rings. But he listens to things. He knows what is being said out there. So he will be properly motivated. They don't I'll listen give you my to the next outside one, noise. They don't listen to outside noise. <laughs> right. Go ahead. I'll give, you, I'll give you my next one, Mike. My next one is show me something Houston Texans. Okay? If you really are this new team in the wake of the firing of Bill O'Brien and you just love the, the you know, sort of the, the kid glove approach of Romeo Cornell, show me something by going into Tennessee and playing toe-to-toe and making it a two-minute warning game in the fourth quarter. You, you love Deshaun Watson? Play great for Deshaun Watson in a game you've really got no business winning. Show me something, Houston Texans. Hey, and that's the thing. You take away the 42-16 to win on Tuesday night. The Titans had not been impressive in any of their wins against lesser teams. So there's an opportunity there for the Texans to, to prove that they do have something more than what we saw when they beat the Jaguars. Last one for me. Alexander Madison, who had a great game on Sunday night, both before Dalvin Cook was injured and after. But show me something specifically. Show me that you can hit an 18-foot hole. Show me, show me that you can that you can identify an opening between defensive linemen large enough to land a plane. Uh, you know, look, and and I'm sure he's heard that all week. Dalvin Cook would have made that run. Da- there it is. See, Peter, you got to squint to see the hole that he missed. It's very, it's very hard to see. I'm glad we're ending the week with this. We started the week with it. We're ending the week with it. That, I mean, I'm seriously. Where's the 747 that's going to land right there? But, but look, Cook's out with the groin injury. He won't play. This is Madison's chance. His first NFL start and redemption coming for him. And good reason for it after the way Sunday's game ended, Peter. Alexander Madison, to me, when I watch him play, he reminds me so much of Dalvin Cook. He is a physical, physically bruising running back. He loves contact. Mike, I think he's going to rise to the occasion if they play this game. I think he's going to have a very big game against the Falcons. And I got a feeling that that Mike Zimmer, uh, a Bill Parcells disciple, has been needling Alexander Madison a little bit this week about that fateful play. All right, that's it for now. We'll see you back here on Monday with PFT Live. PFT PM, 5 o'clock Eastern, later today. Have a great Friday. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.